0: Good morning. Uh, like Rick said, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Josh Nye. My wife Rachel and I have been coming here uh, for about uh, two and a half years now. Um, we became members when we moved to this building. I'd like to apologize in advance. Uh, I was out in the field for the past two weeks, and my soldiers gave me a little cold. So I'm recovering, but if there's some sniffling and, and coughing, I apologize ahead of time. Uh, Like Rick said, I am pursuing uh, the call to ministry. I'm up here to see if if I do have any gifts at it. Um, But whether I I do well or not, uh, you have to pay attention to me today (laughs) because I am presenting the Word of God. I am preaching from it, and His Word is more important than mine. Uh, And uh, that could be the most important thing you hear today or this week. Uh, So let me pray real quick. <clears throat> Lord, open our word. Lord, reopen your word, and we call on your promise that your word will go out and not return to you empty. Open our ears to it. Let the message glorify you. I ask this in your son's name. Amen. So today uh, we are looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, many theologians and historians credit King Solomon as the author of the book. Uh, It says, the writer says that he has kingship over Israel and Jerusalem and unsurpassed wisdom, so it could very well be King Solomon writing the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's said that the book has three main themes, uh, the first being the frustrations we face in our life, the second is finding joy and satisfaction in our life, and the third is fearing God throughout our life. Now with the first two so with the first two, uh, finding joy and satisfaction, uh, the writer says, "Vanity of vanities: all is vanity. Uh, what a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever." Sorry, that was the frustrations we face in life, so he says, "The vanity of vanities." Uh, but then he also says later, also that everyone should eat and drink. And take pleasure in all his toils. This is God's gift to man. So we see this in our fallen world. Uh, We can go to work and we can have uh, a rough day at our work. Maybe our boss is in a bad mood and he's taking it out on us. But at the same time, we can come home from work and find great joy in our family, uh, spending time with our family or friends. We can enjoy dinner with them. And like I said, this this happens in our fallen world today. Uh, We can have days that are completely frustrating, but at the same time, find great satisfaction in them. The last theme of the book of Ecclesiastes is what I'm really going to be focusing on today, and that is fearing God throughout our life. Like I said, the writer spends the entire book going back and forth about its ups and downs, and it pretty much raises the question what is the point of life then? Like, What is our purpose? I've asked this question in my life. Uh, when I was in college, I, I partied a few times, I, but I also went to church on Sunday. You know, uh, I wasn't as bad as the guys that did drugs, but, you know, I still struggled. And I knew I was being hypocritical. I knew... Uh, I guess I told myself, "Well, what's the point? Jesus has saved me. Why can't I just have fun with everyone else?" And that brought up questions in my life. Well, what's the point of life then? What what is our purpose? What is my purpose? Now, looking back, I know God was still sanctifying me. He was still working in me. I know I still had a lot to learn. We know that that's a process, and it can take a long time. Well. God finally gave me the words I needed. He finally revealed his word to me when I came across a verse in Scripture uh, that showed me the errors of my ways. It led me to repentance, um, and I repented of my foolish ways. And that was the conclusion of the book of Ecclesiastes. Like I said, the writer talks about life throughout the book, and he sums it up at the end. In chapter 12, verse 13, This will be our text for today. Um, If you want to follow along with me, it's in the bulletin or in your scriptures. It's Ecclesiastes 12.13. So, uh, follow along as I read. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. This is the word of the Lord. So, we see in this passage that our duty... Our purpose and our point in life as man is to fear God and keep his commandments. Now let's think about what this truly means. Um, I'm going to split this verse in half. We're going to first look at what it looks like to fear God. And then we're going to look at what it means to keep his commandments. So the first one, we are to fear God. Why should we fear God? What does it mean to fear God? So the scriptures tell us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. This is Psalm 111:10. Or in Proverbs 28:14, it says, "Blessed is the one who fears the Lord." So we can see in just these two verses here that fearing the Lord is a wise thing to do, and fearing the Lord can bring blessings. In the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 10, 12, it says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So they were to fear the Lord. And in the New Testament, in Peter, uh, Peter says in 1 Peter two seventeen. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So we see that fearing the Lord is something that's commanded in both the New and the Old Testament. So it is for us today. So I want to point out that we should also fear the Lord because of his holy nature. I think there are a lot of churches today in our country that really emphasize God is love. Now, yes, God does love us because of what Christ has done. But God is way more than just love. He's also a holy God that can bring wrath and judgment on the wicked. Uh, the scriptures teach us a lot about God's wrath. In Ezekiel twenty-five seventeen, it says, I will execute great vengeance on them with wrathful rebukes. Then they will know that I am the Lord, when I lay my vengeance upon them. Or again, in Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness surpass the, suppress the truth. So yes, I think this is something that many Christians forget about today. is how holy our God is. Our God is a holy, sovereign God that demands holiness from his people. Luckily for us, we have the Spirit to help us in Christ to make it possible. But now let's look at what fearing God actually looks like. I want to give you two kind of personal examples of what fear can look like in our daily lives. The first example has to do with the army. Like Rick said, I'm, I am in the army. Uh, and the first example was in an army basic training. Soldiers fear drill sergeants. So, soldiers are afraid of what we call getting smoked. Now, if you don't know what uh, smoked means, it's it's getting disciplined by doing an extreme physical exercise or activity. Now, drill sergeants can get really creative with their exercises and activities, but most of the time it's doing push-ups or sit-ups. Uh, but yes, uh, soldiers feared drill sergeants. They feared getting into trouble because they didn't want to be punished. They had a fear of them. So my second example is uh, actually my relationship with my high school track coach. His, n- his name is Coach Katubi. Uh, now, Coach Katubi was a great track coach. He was able to bring out uh, my best performance and work ethic when training and and competing. And we were actually a really good team for how small we were. Uh, We won numerous titles, and a lot of individuals won uh, big events. And I actually made it to states in two events in my senior year. Um, And in track, you pretty much know your place, like if you're going to win or not, based on the times you usually run. So I knew there were races I wasn't going to win, uh, but I feared not doing well in my events would hurt my coach. I had so much respect for him. He invested so much time into my life, I didn't want to let him down. Uh, So by the time the States came around, I was ready for the track season to be over. I was getting tired, and I wanted a break but I was still motivated enough out of the fear of letting him down. He supported me so much, I feared I would disappoint him. So that's my second example of fear. I don't know if you could tell, but there were two different types of fear in those examples. Soldiers fearing their drill sergeants isn't really the same as me letting down my coach. And this is something we need to think about uh, when we're called to fear God. And Martin Luther uh, saw the difference here. He used two words to show the different types of fear. He used the word servile fear and filial fear. Luther explains that servile fear is the fear a prisoner would have when he could be tortured. This is uh, the fear a soldier would have towards his drill sergeants servile fear is more of a dreadful anxiety. Now think about the implications of having a servile fear towards God. If we had that fear towards God, I think we would constantly have a fear of punishment of our sins. Uh, We can't make it, I don't know about you, but I can't make it through a day without sinning. And uh, we would probably be, you know, we would expect God's wrath at every moment the punishment of our sins. On the other hand, Luther explains uh, filial fear. Now, filial fear comes from the Latin, it's drawn from the Latin concept, Latin word, or the concept of family. Uh, And this is the type of fear a child has towards his father. The child has tremendous respect for his or her father and doesn't want to... uh, Displease the Father. Uh, He doesn't want to offend the Father. He doesn't want to do this out of fear of punishment, uh, but out of fear of displeasing him. It is out of love and respect. And this is the fear I had towards my coach. Now I want you to think about the implications of having a filial fear towards our God. I'm sure you can guess which type of fear we should have towards our Father in heaven. We should have a filial fear. We should have an intimate fear of God, not a cold fear. Now I want to make it clear, I'm not saying we should have a casual relationship with God. He is not our bro. And I'm not saying we shouldn't fear God's punishment. Hebrews 10.31 says, It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. There are consequences to our sin, even as believers. But yes, we can and we should have a personal relationship with God. We call Him Father. We should take our needs to Him. However, like I said, we worship a holy God that deserves the appropriate adoration and respect. I like to look at the book of Job when reflecting on how holy our God is. In the beginning of the book, God considered Job a righteous man. And God allowed Satan to put Job into suffering. And Job called on the Lord, questioning why the suffering was happening. And God answered Job, Who, are, who is this that darkens my counsels by words without knowledge? Dress your actions like a man. I will question you and you will make it known to me. He goes on explaining to Job how Job has no right to question a holy being. If you've ever read the last few chapters of the book of Job, God comes off pretty harsh, it sounds like. But when it comes to us questioning God, God has every right to answer us in the same manner he did Job. He has every right to remind us that he is a sovereign God and his will doesn't need to be questioned. And this is why when we do go to God, when we do go to him, it needs to be out of great it needs to be with great adoration and respect. You also may be wondering why we need to define our fear of God. You know, why why does it matter? We should just fear him. Well, the issue is if we don't have a filial fear and an understanding of what that looks like, uh, we could be denying God's characteristics. For example, uh, if we have a a servile fear towards God, we can be, be denying the love He shows His people. We can be denying the grace and mercy He gives us. On the other hand, if we have a relaxed attitude towards the Lord, We can deny His holiness. We can deny His justice and wrath. And this is why we need to define and understand what type of fear we should have towards our God. A filial fear. Fear out of love and respect. Like I said, I split the verse in half. Uh, I'm going to move on to the second half. The verse is short, so I'm going to read it again real quick. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. We looked at fearing God. Now let us consider keeping His commandments. I'm going to explain this by answering two questions Why do we need to follow God's commandments? And what are God's commandments? So, the first one why do we need to follow God's commandments? Well, the short and simple answer. The short and simple answer is, uh, they are commandments from a holy God, and we need to be obedient. So, for one, following God's commandments is living a holy life. God says, "I am holy; therefore, you shall be holy." We know a holy life means to be set apart. Uh, the world breaks God's commandments; they live in their sin. And we are to be set apart from the world. We are to be set apart, to be holy. If you look in Deuteronomy, God is giving the people all kinds of laws to follow. He gave them the Ten Commandments. He told them how he wanted to be worshipped. And he gave them the ceremonial law. And in chapter 5, verse 1, Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today you shall learn them and be careful to do them. And in the New Testament, in 1 John, John is explaining what the life of a believer looks like. And in chapter 5, verse 2, he, he says, By this we know we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. So if we are obedient, we will follow God's commandments. Really, obedience should be all that matters. We 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 should just if he's, if our holy God has commanded us to do it, we should follow it. Uh, but I also like to say this: that uh, following God's commandments does equal blessings most of the time. Now, I want to say that one more time: following God's commandments does equal blessings most of the time. Let me explain. All throughout the Old Testament, we see God telling His people, if, if you obey, I will bless you. In Deuteronomy, again, in 11, uh, chapter 11, 26 through 28, it says, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I have commanded you today, and a curse... If you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. And we see, through, we see this throughout Israel's history. When they turned to evil and worshipped false gods, he punished them. He turned them over to their enemies. And when they, worshiped, when they lived holy lives and worshipped the true God, he blessed them. And we can see this in our lives today. If you lie and are caught in your lies, no one will trust you. No one will want to be your friend or do business with you. If, if you commit adultery, you could lose your marriage. However, if you tell the truth, people will trust you and you can have good friends and have a good career because people want to be around or work with honest people. If we are faithful to our spouses, we can have good marriages and families. But like I said, following His commandments does equal blessings most of the time. Now, I want to explain why I say most of the time. Because I say most of the time because we know this isn't always the case. We can feel that we are living holy lives and we can still feel like we are not being blessed or God is punishing us. And I say this because Really, I could do an entire sermon on why this is the case, uh, but I'll just say two things real quick. I want to say that another person's sin can affect you, and also God is sovereign, and He can do what He pleases. So if people lie to you about a business deal, it can hurt your own business. You may not have done anything wrong, but they've committed a sin against you, and it can hurt you. And even if you and even if, uh, sorry. And even if you are faithful to your spouse, they can still commit adultery and you can still lose your marriage. And all I can say to that is that God will have his judgment uh, either now or at the final judgment. And I also said that God is sovereign and he can do what he pleases. Once again, we can look at Job. For this, as an example, God called Job righteous, however, Job lost everything. He suffered. And in the end, we see that God did this to bring himself glory, to bring God glory. So even if we don't understand why bad things are happening to us, they are happening for a reason, and that is to bring God glory. And that is all I'm going to say on on that. Uh, And that's what I mean by most of the time. And while we're here, I I also want to make it clear uh, that you understand that obedience and following God's commandments does not equal salvation. We aren't doing this to be saved. The gospel is that God sent His Son to save us. We're we're already saved. Because He did that, we should want even more obey him and bring him glory. So I just wanted to make that clear. So that's why we need to follow God's commandments. Now let's answer what are God's commandments. When we think about God's commandments, we usually think about the law that God gave his people. What God has commanded in the law God gave the people of Israel a moral law, the ceremonial law, and the judicial law. The judicial law was how the nation would function and how people would deal with each other on a legal basis. Uh, The ceremonial law was more like the customs of the nation. It could be their festivals, the food they ate, how they prepared it, and even the sacrificial system was part of the ceremonial law. Now, understand that we are no longer under the ceremonial or judicial law. Christ has fulfilled the ceremonial law and we are no longer a nation state of Israel. We are no longer under the judicial law. However, we are still under the moral law. And the church has always held that we are still under the moral law. If you look at question 91 through question 153 in the Westminster Confession of Faith, Larger Catechism. It talks all about the moral law. In question 93, it asks, What is the moral law? And the answer, The moral law is the declaration of the will of God to mankind, the directing and binding everyone to personal, perfect, perpetual conformity, and obedience thereunto. And in the frame and disposition of the whole man, soul, and body, and in performance of all those duties of holiness and righteousness which he oweth to God and man, promising life upon the fulfilling and threatening death upon the breach of it. And Then if you look at question 90, 98 of the Catechism, the larger Catechism, it says, where is the moral law summarized? And the answer is, the moral law is summarized in the Ten Commandments. I would encourage all of you to read this part of the confession. It examines each of the commandments on their own, and the duties required of the commandment, and things that are forbidden in the commandment. Uh, they, they draw all of these from Scripture, and it's what the church has always held. Let's look at the, the second commandment briefly. It says, Thou shalt not... Make unto thee any graven images, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And when the confession asks what is required of the commandment, it says the duties required in the second commandment are the receiving, observing, and keeping pure and entire all such religious worship and ordinances as God has instituted in His Word. And it it continues on, but I just want to point out that um, we see the commandment isn't just about images. It's also about worship, too. What God has commanded in worship. And this is where we're you know The Reformed Church draws its regulative principle of worship. We only do things in public worship as God commanded. And then when it talks about the sins forbidden in the commandment, it says the sins forbidden in the second commandment are all devising, counseling, commanding, using, and anywise approving any religious worship not instituted by God Himself. The making and representation of God, of, all, of any of the three persons, either inwardly in our mind or outwardly in any kind of images or likeness of any creature whatsoever. And it also goes on. Um, but I'm, I just want to, I'm trying to show you that the church has always held to a deeper understanding of these commandments than just the surface level of, you shall not make any images. It's not just that. It's, it's deeper than that. There's more to it. Uh, my wife and I were actually uh, recently looking at the Eighth Commandment, and we were surprised, uh, you know, the Eighth Commandment, thou shalt not steal, and we were surprised when the confession stated that injustice and unfaithfulness in contracts between man and man is a form of stealing. That the church has held that, you know, it, you know, being unfaithful in our contracts is a form of stealing, and So think of how many businesses today would fall into that sin. Um, We know the Ten Commandments can be split. uh, Not in half, but the first four dealing with our duty towards man. And the last six dealing with... Sorry, the first four dealing with our duty towards God. And the last six dealing with our duty towards man. Uh, And really, the, the moral law and the Ten Commandments the Moral Law slash Ten Commandments, can be summarized in the greatest commandment. And we know that, we hear that in the Gospels. Jesus tells us what the greatest commandment is. Uh, The scribes ask him, which commandment is the most important in life? And Jesus says, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as, my, as yourself. And Christ is just pulling a passage from Deuteronomy 6. We have always known that this is the greatest commandment. So we see the most important thing is something we do towards God. And the second is something we do towards others. Like I said, the greatest commandment is a, a perfect summary of the Ten Commandments. So the moral law is God's law for the Christian. So this is what it means to keep His commandments. We are to be holy by obeying His moral law. We obey the Ten Commandments. We are to to obey the Ten Commandments and all that is implied in them. This is the duty of man, to fear God and keep His commandments. It's It's interesting, though, the Westminster Confession of Faith in the Shorter Catechism in question one, it asks, what is the chief end of man? It's also asking, what is man's purpose? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I don't know about you, but when I read the two, the, the verse in Ecclesiastes and the answer in in the Confession, they don't really sound the same. Fear God and keep His commandments. and Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The passage from the Scripture sounds a little harsh and cold when compared to the Confession. Fear and glorify don't sound the same. Keep His commandments and enjoy Him forever, they don't sound similar. However, the passage in the Scripture and the Confession are the same. Let me explain. When we have a filial fear and strive to obey His commandments, we will bring God glory. And if you are a believer, a true believer, He will bless us and we will enjoy Him forever, either now or in in eternity. So this is what the writer of Ecclesiastes is trying to get at. He's showing. we might not understand what's going on in our life. The frustrations and joys can be an up-and-down ride. We can feel like there is no purpose, or, or we have no purpose. But our purpose is to glorify God. And we do that by fearing Him and keeping His commandments. What more joy can we receive knowing that our actions and bring our holy God glory. Uh, and this is what brought me to repentance. You know, like I said, when I was in college, I didn't understand what my purpose was, and, and this is how I understood it. And I understood my purpose. The Lord has provided us with everything we have and need. He has given us our salvation. You know when Christ returns, we will be judged for our sins, but God has given His saints, us, a mediator, and that is Jesus Christ. And this is why we don't need to have a servile fear towards God. This is why we can be confident that we won't be facing damnation for our sins. Christ has already taken our punishment. We should have a filial fear of God where we fear of displeasing Him. And we please Him by living a holy life. Obeying His moral law is keeping His commandments. We know we can't follow them perfectly and on our own. You know that. This is why we must constantly repent and strive to kill our sin. This is why we must ask God to help us be obedient. So now you know your duty as man. Now you know your purpose. And That is, you know, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandment. For this is the whole duty of man. Let me pray. Holy Father, you are the creator of all things. You give us every breath we breathe. We live in this fallen world that can be confusing at times. And sin can lead us to not knowing our purpose, but Lord, you have shown us in your word our purpose, our duty as man, and that is to bring you glory. We ask that you help us fear you properly, Lord, and keep your commandments. Help us bring you glory. Forgive us when we are disobedient, and we thank you for the work your Son has done. We ask this all in His name, in Your Son's name. Amen.